Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, once you finish listening to this episode, be sure to check out the rest of the Hoopheads Podcast Network for even more great basketball content. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Just in case you missed episode 53 dropping last Monday, I want to encourage you to go and check that episode out. Kuka Hill from Locked On Pistons and I had an incredible time doing an all-mailbag episode. Lots of great Pistons, NBA, and Detroit content for you guys on that one. And I have no doubt you will get some more of that today as I am joined by an amazing guest from the fast-growing Woodward Sports Network, Neil Rule. Along with the show there, Neil is the voice of the Oakland Golden Grizzlies and Detroit City FC for TV20 Detroit and backup Pistons radio play-by-play guy for Mark Champion. Neil, I know you're a busy man, so welcome to Motor City Hoops, and thank you for finding the time to join me. Uh, no, it, it, it's my uh, it's my privilege to be on here, Bryce. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for what you do. Uh, your podcast is appointment listening to me. Uh, you always clean up some stuff that I don't necessarily catch. And uh, I'm sorry that you had to downgrade the episode after having Koo on because I, I listen to Lockdown Pistons a lot too. So I'm sorry you have to slum it with having me on, Bryce. But hey, I'll, I'll, I'll try my best, man. Oh, man, you, you're right there with any other guest I've ever had on here. So I know it's going to be a great one. And I'm sure the listeners are excited as well. Um, with this being the final episode before preseason games start for the Pistons, we're going to look at the last couple of months of the offseason still, but as a, a preview into the regular season. We're going to take one final run through the Pistons offseason as I get his thoughts on the moves made by Troy Weaver and where it puts the team heading into the 2021-2022 season. Um, I'll also look at ask about his thoughts on the future of the roster and who will be here when the Pistons win their next playoff game and we'll finish off by going around the NBA to discuss some of the more intriguing teams or storylines around the association. But to start the episode, we're going to begin where the offseason started. And luckily for us, Neil has a, a firsthand experience of watching our guy, Cade Cunningham, in person. All eyes will be on number two, Cade Cunningham, 6'8", 220-pound freshman from Arlington, Texas, will probably be the number one pick in the NBA draft this summer, so keep an eye on him. Cunningham's all alone, and he'll windmill Tim with the right hand. All eyes will be on number two. All right, Neil, so you got a chance to watch Cade Cunningham in person. Um, what was it that stood out to you the most? Me, Bryce, it was the ability to get to any spot on the floor, given what the situation was in the game. And, and I think... What we'll see with Cade Cunningham, and, and you may see this throughout the season. Look, we live in a video game era right now, Bryce. I, I think we all know that, where the stats are the stats are maybe more valued than maybe they should be sometimes. Certainly there's value to stats. That's how we keep track of everything. But he's, he's such a situational guy where he can come through and execute anything that you want executed. And, and I don't think, until Pistons fans get a chance to see him, and you know we played at Oklahoma State you know, when I was calling the game on radio for the Oakland Golden Grizzlies. We played there last year. He didn't have you know the the greatest surrounding cast just in the terms of your Kansas, your Dukes, you know your your college basketball blue bloods. But what he did, and it was a close game for most of the time. We we had a player go for uh, over thirty points in that game, if my memory serves. But um, you know what 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 really stood out to me was he was a do whatever play is needed guy. When Oklahoma State needed to go get a bucket and there was six minutes to go in the game, and, and when you heard that clip right there. That was, we had had the lead in the second half, and then they ripped off a run, like a 12-1 run. And that was keyed not only by Cunningham making a three-point shot, he had a steal, he had a breakaway dunk there. I mean, he just, he did every single thing. And, and the thing that really strikes me that Pistons fans will get a chance to see this year is the size of this dude. And, and we know, you know, the 6'7", 6'8", the guard, uh, but he, he has a forward body already. And I, I'm not... I'm not saying this, and in, in Oakland head coach Greg Campy, you know, very 
very highly regarded college basketball coach, one of, one of the best names in, in the college basketball coaching game, shares this take. So don't just come at me for this, guys. And I'm not comparing the two. The same thing that struck me about LeBron when LeBron came out is what strikes me about Cade Cunningham. Now, hold on, guys. Hold on. Let me qualify this. When I say that, I mean the build, the body that he has, the strength that you see, the upper shoulder area, all of that. I mean, Bryce, he, he's such a young guy, and he's thick, man. And that's and that's what I that's what I'm really encouraged with because he's going to be able to score it any way you want to score it, and at the same time. You know, you and I were talking before we came on the air. Uh, the the communicator that he is on defense, he can defend. You're not just you're not just going to move him around the floor and, and kind of punk him and get to wherever you want to go to. He'll he'll stand up and get in your face, and he has the strength to do it. And that's the one thing, Bryce. You know, when you look at these NBA draft picks that come out, and the NBA draft is all about potential, right? That's what everybody does. We're drafting on potential. The, the, the qualifier typically is well he has to grow into his body he has to add some muscle he has to add you know he has to add a base Cade's already there with that man and for a lot of guys that come out that's the hardest part Cade's there he's ready to rock right now yeah I think as you talk about that I think about a lot of the situations with incoming rookies and the intangibles the body all of that stuff and that's stuff that Kate already has and has worked on and has grown and honed. And we've seen it, you know, in the first couple months of his time with the Pistons organization. So that's not a something we have to worry about him maturing or anything like that. But you talked about him being able to do it all, like do a little, do a little bit of everything, whatever the team needs. So I want to ask you about this upcoming season with the Pistons. Is that the role you see him playing with this Detroit team? Like, okay, Jeremy's off tonight, so I've got to be a scorer or Killian's in foul trouble, so I got to be the facilitator or I got to guard the other team's best player tonight do you see him in that do it all fill whatever role the team needs or do you think he's going to fill a more specific role like he's playing off ball knocking down shots scoring it a lot what do you see from him in his rookie season I, I think that's what he'll be because I think that's what his nature is is he's a, he's a guy that's just going to make the play and again calling a game getting to see his mannerisms watching him over the course of 40 minutes He'll he'll do what's needed. I, I think that's going to be the role. What you were talking about uh, to begin that question is what what do I have to do to get this basketball team in a position to win? And as you said, nights change, and, and certainly in the NBA and, and at Oakland, we've had a couple of guys come through the NBA uh, as of recently. Guys like Kendrick Nunn and Kay Felder and Keith Benson going back, you know, about ten years ago. Um, you know, it's just I remember talking to Kay Felder about it. We caught up, I think it was in his second year uh, playing for the Cavs. And I said, so, Kay, like, break it down for me, man. I mean, you know, what, what, what is this like? What's the day-to-day grind like? And he goes, Neil, he said, I knew this, but I never really thought about it this way, is you play in Houston and you go against Harden. And then the next day you j- you jump on the plane and you go to Miami and you play against LeBron. He said there is there's no night off against anybody because everybody's got that dude on their team, right? Everybody's got max guys. You know, as I like to say, you know, they all drive Mercedes too, man. So like that's 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 the only thing I think that and really every rookie has to deal with this for Cade is how do you do that every single night when one night it's Russell Westbrook, when one night it's James Harden, et cetera, Kyrie, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going down, going down the list. You know, that that's the only challenge I think that's in front of him. That's the only thing that, at least from what I've seen of his game, that's the unknown for me because you never know that until you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like you said, that's what all rookies are going to struggle with a little bit is getting used to that. But if there's a guy coming into the league that I feel like is going to be up to the challenge, it's Cade Cunningham. He played in the Big 12. We were talking about this beforehand. It's not like he had a loaded roster. Or sorry, you you mentioned it just a, a second ago. It's not like he had a loaded roster there at Oklahoma State. So he was having to be that guy, um, you know, every game against the Big 12 in the non-conference. And so I think there's a little bit of use to that. But, you know, it's still 30. 35 games in college where it's going to be 82 in the NBA. So there's going to be some ups and downs with Cade Cunningham in his rookie season. I think we all should expect that. But I think more nights than not, we're going to see him really fill a huge role for this team. And that's what I hope fans are going to appreciate the intangibles that he brings to the table, Neil, because this is the last thing I want to talk about before we move on to some of the other draft picks is I hope we really appreciate the communication on defense, um, understanding his, uh, you know, the rotations on defense, 
making the one more pass, all these things. The box score may not be there every night for Cade Cunningham, but make no mistake about the impact he's going to have on the floor. No, a- absolutely. And, and that's something where being a high-level guy in, in the you know five-star, you know, all-American, all that, really throughout his basketball life, that's where that stuff comes into play. Because when you play against that, that level of competition, and certainly with what he had at Oklahoma State, I, I think you said that very well. I mean, that that team he had, you know that that was that was a good team. There's there's no question about that. I mean there there were there were big time guys on that Oklahoma State team. I mean you got you had like Likely and the Boone brothers and all that kind of stuff. You know they they had some guys. It's just they weren't they weren't at that level. They weren't a Duke Kansas. You know the stereotypical Duke or Kansas team. They they certainly weren't at that level. But you know for Kay Cunningham, what we saw. I, again, defensively, he was he was so good, man. He he was so good, and I don't really hear anybody talking about that. It's just when you have that kind of strength, man, you're not going to be moved around. You're not going to be pushed around. No, it's going to be very exciting to see what he does on both ends of the floor. I'm I'm very intrigued for both ends. I know offense gets all of the the attention, and, and rightfully so, I guess. But I think he's going to be a very good two way both end of the floor type player. But let's let's move to a to at least one of the the second round undrafted free agents guys. So I'm going to let you take your pick here, Neil. Um, Isaiah Livers is a guy, Michigan guy, coming off the injury. Luca Garza, you know, obviously has really made a name for himself and endeared himself to the Detroit Pistons organization. Organization. Um, probably not Balsa since he went overseas, but Chris Smith, another guy coming off injury, undrafted free agent, and Jamarco Pickett that kind of came onto the scene in, sum- scene in Summer League. Which one of those guys are you kind of most intrigued by for this season, whether it's with the Pistons or the Motor City Crews? Yeah, you know, for me, because everybody wants to talk about guards all the time, and I, and I, do, uh, I do a daily talk show on Woodward Sports Network, and we'll be talking about NFL or the NHL or the Tigers or whatever and there'll be the random, you know, Garza Nation uh text that will come. I mean, hey, dude Bryce, it's wild, man. I mean, this guy this guy has a grip on this city. It, it it certainly is incredible. And and why not, right? I mean, it looks like it looks like the early returns are anyway that the Pistons may, may have really found something with this guy. Now, you know, with, with all that being said and and if Garza were sitting here right, you know, right next to me, you know, he would agree with this comment. All right, now you're in the pick and roll with Chris Paul. What do you do? You know, and, and that's you know, and and that's something where uh, you know this. You watch the NBA uh, a ton, just like we all do. That's the bread and butter uh, of of the offense with how it works because nobody can defend it. Because if they could, they wouldn't have done it for all the years that they've done it in the NBA. But with all that being said, that's the next step that that Garza has to make. The one I'm most intrigued by, I I think, is Livers because. Um, you know, I got a chance to call a couple of his games as well. Did some national stuff for the for the National Sports Network and uh, called their game against Maryland for them. And, and Livers is a guy. You know, Oakland played Michigan earlier this season too, or earlier last season. So got a couple of looks at him. And it's just, I, I think for me, Bryce, like why I get so excited about Sadiq Bay, and I think why a lot of Pistons fans get really excited about Sadiq Bay is just that. Look, you have to have production from the three in this league. You can get by with with a with a smaller front court. You can get by if the players are athletic. But the wing spot, man, you have to have someone that can score the ball uh, from the wing. And and the Pistons really Bryce, you go back through the the recent history, the wing has been a, a tough spot as of late. And that's something that's pretty deep in the NBA. So uh, Livers excites me because certainly you have Bay that can play the 3. Can Livers be that guy too? And I know like the whole league is is moving towards this three and D uh, phenomenon, but Livers can shoot it, man, and he can score it. So, you know, for me, it's it's always that question where how's how's the defense going to translate at this level? And you'll hear me, you've heard me say this a couple of times already. I'll keep going back to it because I think it's very very important to to mention, and people have to understand it. There's dudes in this league, man, that, that make. You know, they make NBA max contracts based on their ability to score the basketball and nothing else. So, you know, you, you have to be able to defend to some degree to survive in this league. But I just, I'm looking forward to having some depth at the three spot because I think we know what we have in Sadiq Bay. And Liver certainly could be a great complement to where the three spot could be a weapon for the Pistons. 
No, I agree on, on both guys. Garza, obviously, like I said, has taken the, the city and the organization by storm, him and his father. I'm actually like... I agree on his defense. So where I think he's really going to have to pick it up is as a rebounder. He's going to have to be a plus rebounder and a plus passer because he's going to shoot it. I think he has the offensive game. I think the defense is going to be a struggle, especially for the first few years of his career until he gets real crafty somehow defending that pick and roll. But if he can become a plus rebounder and a plus passer in the short pick and roll, I think that would be huge. But I'm with you on Isaiah Livers. And I'll be honest, as most of the listeners know, I say it a lot, almost every episode, I'm not from Michigan. I'm fr- I live in Kansas, and so I didn't watch Isaiah Livers a lot in college, but I recently worked on a pre- uh, breakdown for a uh, player preview for the Detroit Bad Boys website coming out soon, and I really like his potential, and, and I could hear it in your voice there as well, because of his ability to shoot the ball. So if he showcases the, the transition from the college to the NBA three-point line, able to knock it down, I think he's going to be a good team defender. He can rotate and, and will understand those things. I really think he has a chance to carve out a rotation maybe not in his rookie season but here early in his career with the Pistons no and Bryce that's why I have a ton of respect for you and what you do you know like you're coming from you're not just a guy that's saying hot takes into a microphone and stuff like that you put the legwork in man like your your preparation of the of the stuff that you do really is incredible so I would encourage everyone if you're if you're a casual basketball fan and you're listening to this for the first time go to the website and, and check the stuff that Bryce puts out there because it, it is informative but like look me you know I, I've worked games in the NBA before I've, I've, I've called these guys you know I've called Kevin Durant and Blake Griffin and John Wall and, and all these superstars and stuff like that but I, I I go to a lot of you know I listen to Koo I listen to you because you guys you know you guys are in there man so that's I would encourage everybody to go to the website and, and check out the player breakdowns that you do because I learn a lot from them but yeah I mean just having seen them that that's what it comes back to and, and knowing what he does well And again, the three is a needed spot in NBA basketball. Absolutely. So let's move on to one of the other, maybe the biggest move outside of the draft the Pistons made. um, And that was essentially moving on from Mason Plumlee to sign Kelly Olenek. I know it wasn't a direct, you know, one for one, but it seems like kind of that was the move. Do you see that as an upgrade? Are you excited about what Kelly Olenek can bring to the table for the Detroit Pistons? And do you think that was something that they were missing? The the, the big guy, you talked about three-point shooting here. Um, you know, that's obviously something Kelly Olenek can do. So you were you encouraged or were you uh, did you agree with that move by Troy Weaver in the front office? Yeah, because I think it went hand in hand with with drafting Cade. Uh, that that changed everything, and, and you know, we we need to remember things are subject to change. When the Pistons got that number one pick, and they knew that they were taking Cade, everything everything took a different look as to what they were going to do on the floor. And, and look, Mason Plumlee was good here. I think he's he's the best backup center. Uh, in the NBA, and he was good, and, and I know what they were doing in terms of, of having Killian with Plumlee in that in that pick and roll. Like he was going to help fundamentally with that pick and roll situation, especially the high pick and roll game. But they had the opportunity to move him because they drafted Cade, and now with Cade, you're able to space that floor as you were talking about the paint, the middle, the middle of the floor, that valuable real estate, as I always talk about. You know that area becomes open, and and Isaiah Stewart, I think. Beef Stew changed a lot of that as well because he really came on. And I think, you know, Stew made made the Pistons really take a look at that roster and say, you know what, we believe in Isaiah Stewart this much to where we can do this move and get Olenek in here as a floor spacer. And and that will that will open up some avenues for Cade because as I talked about earlier and you know people who've listened to me on the radio call games before they know I I like to work this line in from from time to time you know Cade Cunningham can be a bit of a Tupac Tupac score how do you want it you know I mean like he can he can do it he can do it that way though he can put the ball on the floor he can run the offense so you know he has that ability and I think Olenek really really helps Cade Cunningham uh, as well and look. The game is going this way. It's a three-point game. And when you got cats that can shoot the ball 40% from three like Olenek can, uh, that's certainly something that you need to take a look at. A look at. And I'll tell you what, Bryce, the biggest thing that I like about about the, the, the Olenek move that they made is the flexibility that it still gives them. You're talking about a, what, a three-year, $37, $38 million contract. We, we talk about here in Detroit, Bryce, 2023 is going to be a hell of a year 
because the Lions will, will have shed their dead weight by them in terms of, of, of contracts. You know, the Pistons will have the Blake Griffin money come off the books. Kate Cunningham have a couple of years in. The Red Wings are on the same trajectory. The Tigers even are, are on the same type of trajectory. But for me, with the Pistons in this team, this is what has me excited about Troy Weaver. And believe it or not, Bray, I know this will be hard for you to believe, the same thing that has me excited about the Lions is the, the financial responsibility that the general managers in this town are taking and, and the value of draft capital. And, and I know we'll get into Sekou a little bit, and I know Sekou played today, and you know Pistons Twitter was getting fired up about that. I understand that, and I know we'll get into it in, in just a little bit. But with all that being said, man, I really like the Olenek move because you're not breaking the bank by any means, and he can give you some floor space, and that's what you need in today's NBA. Uh, I love for one. I love that you dropped uh, the Tupac line there. I grew up on 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 some Tupac, so I love that. But yeah, I, I also love that you ended up talking about Troy Weaver there at the end because as you were talking about all that that's who kept coming to mind for me because you talked about he was willing to change and pivot when the circumstances change, right? Like you can't plan two off seasons ago, you can't plan on getting the number one pick and drafting Cade Cunningham. So you have to take, you have to work with what you know. And so they took Mason Plumlee. I think a lot of people look at it like, oh, that was a miss signing Mason Plumlee. No, like they just didn't have all the same information that he had now. He got new information, new situation. Mason Plumlee's not the right guy to play with Cade Cunningham. We have a chance to get Kelly Olynyk, so let's go do it. And then, like you said, all along the way, still keeping plenty of cap flexibility whenever the time comes and the time is right to, to have that. So I love that you gave Troy Weaver the props there because I love that, that we have a GM, the Pistons have a GM that, that recognized that and was willing to pivot and say, all right, I need a different big man because Isaiah Stewart played well and Cade Cunningham is now coming to Detroit. I think that's big time and something fans should be excited about. Yeah, I absolutely agree 100%. And, and who knows, you know, with, with Olenek, and if if Killian Hayes is, is what you think he is and the, and the number seven overall draft pick in the NBA draft and, and a point guard of the future, you got a hell of a backcourt lined up if that's the way that that plays out. And Olenek certainly can, uh, can play a big part in that, certainly play a big part in their success. Absolutely. So, um, I want to ask about a other type of free agency for the Pistons, and that's resigning our own guys. So not guys outside of the organization, but our own guys. So Corey Joseph, Sabin Lee, Hamadou Diallo, Magruder, Frank Jackson. Which not we don't have to get into all those guys by any means, Neil. But which one of those guys of that group were you most excited about that the Detroit was able to bring back, and kind of interested to see what they bring to the team this season? Uh, well, I. I share uh, the the same values that you do, Bryce. I'm a big Amadou Diallo guy. Um, just just big because being as young as he is, I, I think he's just scratching the surface. He's got obviously that Kentucky pedigree as well. Being 23 years old, he's exciting to me because he, you know, he's a guy that can score the basketball. He's a guy that you know. That's what that's what his big time role is going to be, you know, as far as the Pistons go. But you need a score off the bench as well. And, and Diallo certainly, I think, will will have the ability to fill that role. The the other one that I noticed was Corey Joseph, but that was for personal reasons. Uh, as you guys know, I do play by play for Oakland University. My my second year on the job, uh, we played in the NCAA tournament in 2011, and Corey Joseph. Uh, made some big plays down the stretch to beat us. We were, we were. It was funny because we were down by like 15 to that Texas team. Uh, we we came storming back in the second half, and and you know how the NCAA tournament works, right? Like everybody that's in the building starts rooting for the underdog, and we're yeah, we're we're playing Texas, and, and they want to see Texas lose, so everybody's on our side. And uh, Corey Joseph made a couple of big plays down the uh, down the stretch to beat us. Uh, so every time I see him, I'll always think of that. But uh, but no, I, he he even though he's a vet though at this point now so you know I'm never going to get mad at, at veteran contracts that are that are very manageable like Corey Joseph's is and he you know he he played well coming down the stretch last year for the Pistons I think we can all agree on that no, I com- completely agree. I- I've brought it up multiple times on the podcast or on other podcasts that, you know, whenever we traded for him, you know, you would have thought he was the worst player in the the league. But, you know, I thought he came in and he played very well. And I'm fine with him playing spot minutes. I think what everybody's worried about is him, like, 
I don't think he finds a way into the starting lineup, but he plays the second unit point guard minutes whenever we want to see Saban Lee there or the minutes staggered between Cade and Killian. But I think there's going to be minutes for Kojo to play throughout the season, especially if we're really vying to win every single game and try to get into a play-in position. But let me just ask you in general, because you kind of brought it up there as him being a vet. I feel like some fans weren't weren't fans of re-signing Kojo and Magruder as veterans. And my argument is you have 15 roster spots. It's not bad to have guys like that on the team who are going to be ready to play on a given night, who are going to show guys how to watch film the right way, how to study a scouting report, how to make the rotations. I see a lot of value in that. Do you see the same with the signing of those two players? Well, well I think it's, it's the exact same thing that we were talking about with the Olenek trade is, or the, the Olenek signing is, the, the stakes changed, and the situation changed, and the data changed, and now you have, you know, in, in Hayes and Kate Cunningham, look at that backcourt you have, and then that's that's really the future of this team, and this this franchise, this entire franchise, this city as a fan base will go how this backcourt goes, and and if both these guys are great, if both these guys are great guards, then this team, you know, let, let's start talking about that, where they're ready to take that step and be among the NBA elite right around the time that LeBron James is coming out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's the timeline for everybody. I know everybody wants it right now, but even with this number one overall pick and all that stuff, the, the time isn't right now for this team. You know, it's certainly they're looking to improve and the, and the playoffs would, would be the goal, but, you know, it's, it's still a plan here. There's still a plan in place, I think, by Troy Weaver. So I, I think when, when they made those signings and they signed Joseph and, and those guys like that, they certainly, certainly were taking a look at that and saying, hey, we got to have these cats, uh, you know, show Hayes and, and show Kate Cunningham the ropes. And, you know, Corey Joseph, this is an 11-year vet right now, man. He, he's made his money. You know, he's made his money in this league. And he, he's stuck around for a very, very long time. He knows some stuff, man. And that's where... You know, yeah, that that's a that's a great point that I haven't heard talked about a lot that you make, but he certainly is somebody that that that'll help this young backcourt. So I want to talk about a guy that didn't get to stay around, and you brought up just a couple minutes ago, and that's Sekou Dumbuya. And you brought up, um, so we recorded this on Sunday evening. So it was the first preseason game. The NBA's back officially. It was between the Nets and the Lakers. I didn't actually watch. I looked through the box score, um, and it looked like Sekou had a good game. I haven't been on Twitter much yet um, to, to read it all, but I saw my guy Kuhu uh, already tweeted about it. So, um, But just in terms of Sekou, did you think this was the right time for him to be traded um and I know we've gotten a little more context on this um since media day but what do you think the reason was behind that do you think Troy Weaver just you know it wasn't his guy they didn't see the potential with him he didn't fit the roster as the data changed like we've been talking about on this episode or they just thought he made it was right to do by him to get him to another organization and give him a fresh start would it be weird if I said the answer is yes to all those things I mean no but but the reason Bryce is is why are moves made, you know? I mean, what's at the root of, of any move that that a GM or that an organization makes? It's it's not because it's not they're gonna it's not like they say, well we'll move Seku, uh, that'll hurt the franchise, so let's do it. You know? I mean, it's just it's one of those things where all those reasons that you gave came into play. The the team changed, it did, and you know I would ask you, and I, and I would ask people. Tell me what the fit would have been now. As, as you look at the roster as it's constructed right now, where where would the fit be for Seku? And more importantly, he's going to need to get minutes to to grow, to develop, to do all those things. And you have to look at the long term plans of the of the Brooklyn Nets. What's what's the window with the Nets right now? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. it, it, and they're in a spot too with all those high priced veterans they have. You know they need contracts that are that are a little more monetarily friendly, friendly uh, like Sekou's was. So I, I think the answer to all those things is yes. I mean, yeah, it, it probably was the time because, yeah, he probably didn't fit the same way that he did before the organization got the number one overall pick. Yeah, that's as I was asking the question. So I've been, I've had people, which I very much appreciate, send me advice and tips on how to get better. And one of them was like, sometimes I ask questions and I ask like three questions within the question. And as I was saying that to you, I was like, oh shoot, here I am, I'm doing it again. And, and so I apologize for that, Neil. I kind of set you up with about four questions in in one. Um, but so more specifically with Sekou then, were you a little disappointed then, I guess, to see him traded? Would you have liked to see him for one more year? I've, I've been on the record 
record saying I would have liked to see him for one more year or at least up to the trade deadline because I do think there was a role for him as the foreman off the bench. Um, but were you kind of ready for the Seku project to be over? Just you personally? Well, I mean, you got you got to look at the trade in and of itself, right? I mean, they they took it they took on the salary uh, of DeAndre Jordan, you know, so so they could you know they could write that off and move on. Uh, Trading Seku, that that's what it took to to get four second round picks. So I would ask, what well, what was the market really? You know, and that's and that's always a thing, right? We live in this fantasy sports society now, where you know, we can we can talk about what we think something will fetch, but the bottom line comes, what what is somebody willing to pay for something? These, these trades in the NBA, these trades in all sports, they're still economic transactions, right? It's supply and demand. So I, how do you, how do you balance that out? So I would say. You know, maybe this was the best deal they thought they could get for him. I mean, I, you know, I, I just, I, I look at it a little bit from that management role and say, where there came a point where they either said, A, it's time to move on, or B, this is the best deal we can get, or A and B, where it's time to move on, and this is the best deal we can get, so we're going to go ahead and pull the trigger on it right now. I mean, for, from what I've seen, and look, I know this wasn't, you know, this wasn't something we were going to talk about uh, a ton, but I, I think it fits right here, Bryce, in that, it, you you have to trust in Troy Weaver right now because if you go back two seasons, Bryce, and you took that team that was on the floor two seasons ago to the f- team that's on the floor now, if you took off the numbers and the jerseys, you would still be able to notice a difference between the two teams. He flipped an entire roster, and not only that, like in names and contracts, he flipped a style of play. The athleticism is so much different right now than it was before. And this is an ath- this is an athletic game now, Bryce, where and I think John Calipari uh really with what he did in college, he was kind of the 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 godfather of this. And I know people groan when it, when I, when I'll say that, but he gets the five best guys and figures it out, man. And it, it, I don't want to call it positionless basketball, but we're as, we're as close to positionless basketball as we ever have been before. And you put your five best out there, and you figure out the roles, and you figure out where you're deficient, and, and you find a way through that. So I think that's the thing that Troy Weaver really was doing right now is he wanted this whole entire roster to take on a different identity. And he did that over the span of like 14 months. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So as you talk about lineups, let's transition into a little bit of a season preview. What are the five guys that, you know, let's, you know, I agree the positionless basketball, so you don't have to do it by position, but what are the, the who are the five guys that are going to start the majority of the games this season for the Pistons? Yeah, and I've been thinking about that a lot, and I'm sure a lot of people have too, and, and I think to some degree it'll be matchup dependent, but, but I really think what you're going to end up with, and, and look, Dwayne Casey's as good as it gets as far as, uh, as, as far as coaching, I think the Pistons will probably have a starting six. If, if that you know, if that makes any sense, you know, you have, you have Killian and Cade, you know, Sadiq Bay, Jeremy Grant, some night Stewart, some night Olynyk, you know, depending on depending on what the story is. Um, you know, you, you have Josh Jackson on the roster still. You know, Diallo's a guy I think will will be coming off the bench in pretty short order, and uh, you know, Trey Lyles will be in that mix too, but. I think a lot of basketball coaches would tell you secretly. I don't. I don't know that they'll. They, they would ever say this publicly. But I think a lot of basketball coaches secretly would tell you the smaller the rotation is, probably the better the team is. If that makes any sense. Now, certainly you have to account for injuries and all that. But you know, it's it's like the quarterback thing in football. They say if you have two quarterbacks, you don't really have one. And that's and that's the thing I think with with basketball. If you have a, a ten or eleven guys, you know. Do do you really? You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, do, how come you don't have eight? And that's and that's really what it is, I think, for this Pistons team. Now, the NBA schedule is a bit of a different animal because of the grind and everything like that. But I think it'll be a starting six for the Pistons if, if I'm allowed to make that up, right? Oh, absolutely. You do whatever okay, you cool. want. <laughs> no, I'm I'm completely on board. Excuse me. And, and that's you bring up a really good point. Something I'm very intrigued by and kind of. I don't know if we'll see it during the regular season because of the way the schedule is and the grind. But, you know, if we get to the end of the year and we're in some must-win games or, you know, if we, they were fortunate enough to get into the playing game, I would love – I'm fascinated to know what the eight-player rotation would be for the Pistons. Because, like you said, you said it perfectly. That's usually the good teams. You get into the playoffs. They play eight guys. They're not going, you know, to their two quote-unquote two-deep depth chart at every position. And that's why positionless basketball is so important because you got to have guys that can play multiple positions 
happens if you're only going to play eight. And so I would really like to know who those eight guys would be for the Pistons. I don't think we're going to see it early in the season, but maybe as the season progresses, we'll see it at a certain point. So a couple more just like direct questions. So who do you think is going to lead the team in scoring this year? Yeah, I mean... (sighs) I, I'm I'm gonna say it's 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 gonna be Jeremy Grant again, just just based on a, on a usage. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because there'll be nights where Kate Cunningham's gonna have to facilitate. There'll be nights where he has to score, but we know what Jeremy Grant's gonna do, and and he's gonna be coming out to score the basketball again. That that's more of a usage type thing. And just look at the way that he was involved last year. I mean, what what was a typical possession for Jeremy Grant? Was he you know, he would get the ball face up on the wing, either back in, you know, drive to the bucket, do whatever he has to do. You know, guys like Kenny o, Kelly Olynyk and stuff like that, even Sadiq Bay, they're more dependent on other people to be able to score their points, but Jeremy Bucket or Jeremy Grant can can get his own buckets, you know, at at times. So that's again, just based off of usage and I know you're a big analytics guy, I am too. Um, so that that's where I'm qualifying it. Just to, from a usage perspective, he'll he'll be the leading scorer. No, I agree. I think we're still going to see him play that number one role. Um, I think eventually Cade takes over, and I think you know not this season, but obviously in the years to come. And I think I'm very interested to see late in game. So I'd love to get your perspective on this, Neil, because you brought up Cade Cunningham taking over, playing whatever role needed to be uh, uh, be played in a game. And so I think where what will be interesting is late in the game, who we run in the set for, who we run in the action for, whose whose hands does the ball end up in if the action breaks down because I really think that's where it's going to be Kate I think you're right I think Jeremy Grant is the leading scorer and has the highest usage but I think late in a shot clock late in games I think the ball is going to be Kate in Kate Cunningham's hands or he's going to be the guy coming off the action for me I think it'll still be the Jeremy Grant thing but it will be through Kate Cunningham and they will give Kate Cunningham I guess if you want to compare it to football it'd be like a like an RPO, you know, like the run the run pass option and and Cade Cunningham at the quarterback spot will have that RPO to where I think ultimately they'd like the ball to go to Grant, but he has the freedom and he has a green light to where if he sees something, you know, you, you take advantage of his basketball IQ because he's always going to make the right play. And he he's that's that's what has me most excited about Cade Cunningham. And you know, he said he said all the right things with the media. He said all the right things every single interview he's ever done. But more than that, his game suggested. And like I said, I've seen it. I've I've seen him in a in a tight game in the second half where he did a little bit of everything. Where there were big possessions for Oklahoma State where he deferred because that was the right basketball play. So through all that, I think Jeremy Grant's the guy, and I think Jeremy Grant wants to be the guy too. And this, you know, we keep talking about Cunningham and Hayes and things like that. This is a big season for Jeremy Grant too, because yes. we, we, and no one, no one's talking about that, Bryce, and I, and I don't, I don't understand why, because because I think we're gonna find out is Jeremy Grant that dude, you and you know what I mean when I when I'm saying that, like is he is he the face of things, and, and look, it, it's gonna be Cade obviously, but is Jeremy Grant gonna be the guy, and and that's and I'm talking about like league wide, the guy where. He's the one that draws a lot of the attention in the scouting report and the film breakdown and all that stuff. Is he going to take that step towards becoming a star in this league? And that's why I think the Olympics were important. And yeah, you know, he didn't play in those types of things. I think it was important for him to be around all those guys. And you're right, you take value of whatever. I'm a guy, if I go to the grocery store, Bryce, when I'm checking out at the grocery store, uh, talking to the cashier, and hearing their experiences and stuff that they've been through and how they've handled it and stuff like that, that that's an opportunity to gain perspective, man, and to learn. And, and I think that Jeremy Grant, that time at the Olympics was big because he was around those dudes. And, you know, that, that could be big for him. No, I agree so much. I, I've thought about that as I, I reflect on the offseason and what I've done just here on the podcast. And like, man, I, I really overlooked Jeremy Grant. You know, it was, it was Cade Cunningham and the draft picks. And then Kelly Olynyk got signed. Then Sekou got traded. And, you know, all these things. And like, 
You're so right though, Neil. And I feel like, like I said, like I've kind of failed on the podcast, not talking about how big of a year it was for him because you're right. Is he going to take that next step? Cause I've got, I've, I'm curious. I'm a little bit unsure on whether he has yet another step in his game. It's so impressive and so admirable that he bet on himself and the, and the steps he's taken and all of that. Now there's going to be a lot of eyes on Detroit because of Cade Cunningham, hopefully because the team is better. And again, is he able to step into like an, is he going to be a true all-star this year? Is he going to be you know, a guy you look at and say, hey, in, in a few years, we can be competing in the playoffs with Jeremy Grant as our number one or number two guy next to Cade Cunningham. And I think we find a lot of that, uh, find out about that this season with Jeremy Grant. And I'm, it's really intriguing storyline. I think you're right. It's kind of gone overlooked this offseason. No, it has. And he's 27 now, right? And this is the time. This is the time when, when guys take over. And, and look, let's be honest, too. And I know you're you're asking the question, you know, coming up in just a little bit, but, like, the, the playoff thing. You know, who's on the roster when the Pistons win their next playoff game? You know, I don't know, but I know I know who the guy has to be. You know, one of, one of them has to be Jeremy Grant because, you know, in order for him to kind of validate I don't want to say validate his career because he's made his money and, and he's got a gold medal and he's he's done a lot of things. But I think internally, if you talk to Jeremy Grant, like if you were if you were in an elevator with Jeremy Grant and he was sitting there being honest about it, I I, I think that he has his eyes on that. Not from a self, selfish perspective, just we all we all want to do that, right? We all want to we all want to justify what we do and and be considered the best at what we do. And uh, that I think that burns in anyone that's a competitor. Absolutely. You you don't get to that level without having a little bit of an ego. That's why those guys are what they are. And I'm not saying that in a negative way whatsoever, but there's, it's, it's the, you call it competitiveness, whatever it is. Like there's a little bit of, I want to show everything I've worked for and how hard I've worked and the grind I've put in. So I absolutely agree with that. And we will get to that question in just a second, but I want to, one question before we move to look to the future a little bit, I want to just look at this season and you don't have to give me a win loss here, Neil, because I don't always define success in terms of win loss. So you don't have to say they're going to win this many games. You don't have to say they're going to finish in this place. What is just your season outlook for this team? And what would you define success for, for the 2021-2022 Detroit Pistons? For the Pistons this year, and I know a lot of people are going to get ahead of themselves. And you saw that from the draft. I think you saw that with the viewership in the summer league. And look, I watched it too. And I was doing a talk show here in Detroit on Woodward Sports Network. It was it was a hot topic of discussion, and actually, I'm grateful because you know that that late July time that's usually the dog days in the sports talk world. But the NBA, I mean, we were talking NBA summer league uh, on the regular <laughs> during the midday show. It was crazy. It was nothing I had ever I had ever seen before, and people were fired up, man. And, and certainly, you know, the news came out about Jalen Green and not wanting to be in Detroit, and you know, we all had our our, our Finch Clist, you know, we all had our fist all clenched up and everything, and you know, we we were all ready to fight here, and that set the you know the the text lines on fire and it, it was a lot of fun to uh to have it be relevant there's no question about that but you know i i, I do want people to temper expectations as as far as you know the, i think the ceiling is kind of what most people think the ceiling is you know you you flirt with a playoff spot maybe a play-in spot uh that type of thing but if, if the pistons come out and they win, and I, I, I forget the exact win total. What was it, 20, 22 games, something like that? 21 games, 23? Somewhere last around. Year, yeah. Last, last year was 20, 20. 20, okay, yeah. So I was in the neighborhood there. If they're still in the 20s in the win total next year, I hope people don't bail and say, oh, you know, they, 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 they only won 29 games. Because for me, it's not a win total number. It's more like art. Like when I when I go into uh, when I go into art museum, which uh, which my wife will bring me in there sometimes, and I, I go in there kind of kicking and screaming, wishing I could watch the game instead. But like I have a totally different view of what is quote unquote good art than what my wife does, right? I, I think that it it'll be something when it's all done. We'll know whether or not it was improvement or not. I, I think it will be. But if they come out there and they win twenty eight games, and they're in the draft lottery again. That won't make it a failure to me. It won't because people still have to remember, and this is something I talked about when I, when I was rapping a few minutes ago about the you know the the state of Detroit sports right now with the Pistons and the Red Wings and the Lions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. People, you got you know we got to remember 
there's still a $30 million cap hit with Blake Griffin on this roster right now. You know, there's there's an $8 million cap hit with DeAndre Jordan, you know, in terms of dead money on this roster right now. So, I mean, you're still, while you got the shiny toy and we've unwrapped it, we're still waiting to put the batteries in it before we can play with it, if that makes any sense. No, that's I love how you said that. Like, we'll know it when we see it at the end of the season. I think that's what we have to – that was perfectly said because I do think we're going to have to overlook the win-loss or whether we get to this or that or where we finish in the East. Like, we're going to be able to see on a night-in, night-out basis for 82 games. And I think then we're going to be able to judge, okay, was it successful or not? Did some of these guys take a step forward? Did the, Was the player development there the way we wanted to see with their shooting or their decision-making or whatever it was? And so I think that's what we all have to be able to do is really step back and just look at it from that perspective, not just the, the the W's and the L's. So one last question, and we're going to dive a little bit more into the future here then, and you alluded to it a second ago. Um, my best friend, I brought, he had a mailbag question on the last episode, and so he texted me and he said, I wish I would have asked you this, so I told him I would ask this episode. And he says, how many current players will be on the roster for the next non-play-in game playoff win? So it can't be a play-in game. So essentially... When's the next playoff win when they're like the sixth seed or something like that? And who is still on the roster whenever that happens? Yeah, well, I, I think that's actually pretty easy to answer because you look at, at proven talent commodities, right? I, I, w- I would think Jeremy Grant would be on that roster. Uh, I, I would think Kate Cunningham would be. I would think Sadiq Bey would be. I think that Isaiah Stewart would be. Uh, we'll, we'll see, you know, Killian Hayes exactly – you know, it's a big season for, for Killian Hayes as well. The The data is very, very limited, and we have to remind ourselves of that too, that Killian missed a big chunk of time. What's he, I think he's played, what, like 30 games in his NBA career or something like that? It's not – it, yeah, it's, it's not a ton. I, I know that. So, you know, I, I would hope that Killian's there. I would say, though, for, from a core perspective, and I'll, I'll say Diallo will be, Sadiq Bey will be, Jeremy Grant will be, and Isaiah Stewart will be. And we'll see how, you know, the Kelly Olynyk thing. Because at some point, right, we can, we can say all these names, but at some point you figure a move will be made. And I, I can't forecast, you know, what that will be. And at, at some point they'll make that trade, though. And you know Troy Weaver is not just going to say, oh, we're close. I'm just going to hang out and see what happens. That's not – something strikes me that's not the kind of dude that he is. So, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think he'll just stand there and wait for it to happen. I think he, if he can nudge that process along, he will. But, uh, yeah, I, I, Amadou Diallo and, and Kate Cunningham, Sadiq Bey, Jeremy Grant, and Isaiah Stewart I think will be on that roster. Yeah, and I think that was kind of his point when he was talking to me about this is there might still, even though there's been a lot of turnover already with with, uh, Troy Weaver, like we've discussed in 14 months or whatever it is, there's still likely quite a bit of turnover left. Maybe not, obviously not to the same extent, but there's probably still some turnover going ahead. Like it's not like these 15 guys on the roster, we're just going to grow with these 15 guys into a championship caliber team. There's, like you say, probably another major trade or something like that to be had or move in free agency. So, um, I agree with you. I think kind of that core is what we'll see. And um, But speaking of turnover, let's go around the NBA here a little bit. And I want to talk about the Los Angeles Lakers to start off because that roster had a complete overhaul and a lot of turnover as well. So what are your thoughts on Russell Westbrook joining the Lakers, that roster in general? And you even brought up Kendrick Nunn earlier. So he joined that team this offseason as well. Yeah, and, and that's for me with, with the Lakers. Uh, it's intriguing because... People were saying, you know, why, why would you make that move? Why would you want to go get Russ? And, and for me, what other move was out there really for the Lakers? Because I think we can all agree they they had to make a move. They had to do something. And you know, the injuries uh, certainly took their toll on the Lakers last year, and that cut out their chances of making a run at winning another championship. It's just for me that with this with this Lakers team, there wasn't. What other move was there? What other what other dude was out there that was obtainable? You know, and, and the Kyrie Irving thing had been done already, and certainly, you know, the uh, the Nets with what they have going on with him, and, and that is what it is. But Russell Westbrook was obtainable, and, and the Lakers went out and made the move to get it. And, of course, you're going to do that, right? You have LeBron, and, look, you can never count out LeBron 
and he's still, you know, he's still a top five, if not the best all-around player. I don't, I'm not trying to start any treason here uh, on your podcast. I don't want your mentions to blow up. But let's be real. You know, who, ask any defender in the league who's the last dude they want to see out in transition coming towards them. I, I would think LeBron James would be up near the top of that list. It's just they went and got Westbrook. That's a move that was available. I'm partial to Kendrick Nunn. I'm always going to be because I know the fabric of what he is. And I've sat in many airports with him and had many long discussions with him. You know, and and I I know what what makes him tick. And, you know, we've talked a lot about life and everything else like that before. So I'm always partial to him. And I couldn't be happier for his success. And, you know, let's talk about Kendrick Nunn for a second since, since, since you kind of brought him up. Look at this guy wants to win to the point. I think we can all agree. I was I was surprised a little bit to see him you know, take that deal and go to the Lakers. You know, I I wonder, and I gotta expect, and I gotta think that there was there was more money on the table with more years other places. But he wants to go win too, so so that's why he's there. But I I do like the pieces because I don't know, and Bryce, I I don't know where you stand. Are you a, are you a Westbrook guy? Um, I question the fit a little bit, Neil. I I'm not one of these Westbrook haters in terms of like the empty stats narrative like he like I think Westbrook has one of the best motors in the league he plays hard as heck every single night and he provides a ton of value I do think the fit can be a little clunky I understand your point with like whatever whatever what other move are you gonna make and I think the way they filled out the roster actually helps make things make more sense um so I don't mind it in regards to that I'm I just I kind of wonder in the playoffs how he's going to play off of LeBron and AD I guess, and, and that's something that you know as Drake would say we gonna see you know I mean like that's we're we're just going to have to find out you know and and that's and that's something that only Russell Westbrook knows but I, I would imagine that those conversations were held before the the trigger was pulled on a move like that and I would imagine that LeBron and Anthony Davis and those guys were on board with it that that would be what I would think but I mean. As Pistons fans, I'm really intrigued to see how Wayne Ellington fit. Wayne Ellington could eat. He could eat on that floor, man. <laughs> so, you, I mean, yeah, you, you put Wayne Ellington out there. I like what they did depth-wise just with Kendrick and Malik Monk. And Car- And I was never a Carmelo guy. Um, never. Never at all. But he really seems to, to be dedicated to fitting in. You know, when you throw Dwight Howard in there. And I'll tell you what, if they do win a championship, you know, at some point, Rajon Rondo will be heard from. You know, I, we, you know, we won't we won't necessarily hear a lot from him. But at some point, he's that's just the kind of guy he is, man. Like he always pops up in a big spot. But you know, with, with all that being said, you know, I I do like what they did. And what else were the Lakers going to do, man? For real, what other what other substantive move was out there for a superstar? Absolutely. And I do. I think they made moves. You talked about their depth where they can be successful, excuse me, in the regular season. And I think they realized this last season how important that was. Obviously, you know, the injuries weren't their fault, but, you know, they can rest LeBron and still win games because they have Russ and they have, you know, maybe they're all older players, but they have enough of them that they can just kind of cycle through them throughout the season. Now, maybe the chemistry won't be there to start the playoffs. We'll see how that all plays out. But you talked about there not being another star to be made for their for them to trade for it to a move to be made for the guy I want to talk about right now is Zion Williamson and the New Orleans Pelicans and I'm not saying that's a guy the Lakers could have gone out and got and I'm not saying he's on the move yet but it doesn't seem like things are very good down there what is your take on what's going on with Zion and that organization well, well, I think we all saw this coming, right? The day the ping pong ball came up with, uh, or the day the envelope opened up, and there was a New Orleans Pelicans logo on there, um, you know. And, and that was, and look, you the Pelicans tried as hard as they could, you know, and and they went through the coaches and they they tried to make every move that they could make, and it just just none of it worked. And and I think the writing is is pretty clearly on the wall. And, and credit to Zion. Because I, I was listening to a NBA radio on, on Sirius, and you know they, they played some of his cuts where he was talking about it, and he says there's harmony, you know, with his general manager, and there's harmony with the coaching staff. I'll give him a lot of credit because he is such a young guy that at least publicly he puts on the good face. So I mean, and and that's I respect that because a lot of young guys might not know uh, how to do that when they, when they get in the league. But Zion, 
Zion's been a businessman, I think, ever since he was in high school and all the Instagram followers and everything like that. But with all that being said, yeah, I mean, how else is this going to end, really? I mean, if, if if you were looking at this and, you know, say, say you say you had to bet the grocery money on it, you know, will, will, will Zion you know, be with the Pelicans in three years? I, I don't think you would find a person that would say, yeah, yeah, he will be. I mean, I just, there's no other way for this to end. Will he make it past the trade deadline this season, though? Uh, they're just, they're going to ask for such a massive haul for him, and, and rightly so. Um, somebody's going to have to get really, really aggressive if if they want. I mean, like you're you're going in for for the franchise, and and to be honest with you, you know, with Zion, I I wonder. I do want because we're already starting to see it, right? Like with the, with the foot issues and all those kinds of things. And and I'm not a, I was never a big oh, Zion. You know, you remember when everybody was trying to count Zion's calories for him and everything yeah, like that. He was like, too big he, and he wasn't going to last. Yeah, you know, and, and I I don't I don't put a lot of stock into that, but you know, and I don't know how much of it is like the problem of the fit with the problem of the of the climate of of where New Orleans is right now. They still have. You know, I I believe they still have their club option on him for next year, so you would really have to dazzle them with a move, and and that the Lakers don't have that kind of firepower. I don't think they have another draft pick for the rest of eternity. Like I, I think they I think they traded every draft pick that they have. So I mean, you know, it's just one of those things where I just you have to, the the right conditions have to meet the right team with the right amount of firepower and able to to pull that move off. Because remember, it's not one of these usual ones, Bryce, that we see where you have a, 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 a star maybe on the last year of his deal where, where those numbers match up, where you can, you can shuffle them off to New Orleans to make that salary match up and then just shower them and make it rain with draft picks. You know, I, I don't, that, that's not there because you have to remember Zion's only, what, an $11 million a year guy, $13.5 million a year guy next year. Yeah, so I mean, you're really, really gonna have to dazzle them to get a, to get your hands on them this year. Oklahoma City Thunder have a lot of draft picks. Yeah, more than they can use, man. That's that's that's. But see, like I think with Oklahoma City, it's almost like their their war chest of draft picks almost works against them. Because if I, if I'm another team talking with them in a deal, I'm gonna say, well, you can't use all those draft picks. Like you physically can't use them. So just so, give them all to me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you know, whatever. Yeah, I, it, that that compilation compilation of draft picks is 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 something, man. Like, and that's what I'm like. What is the end game, Neil? What what is the end game in Oakland? Because they literally can't make all those picks. Like, they'll be drafting guys and just releasing them. They don't even have enough room on their their summer or not their summer league, their G League team to to keep them around. And so. I mean, there has to be more than one big move coming up for them getting rid of all those picks. Yeah, and, and I don't, I don't know what their end game is. Like, like we talk about, you know, we we talk about end games and stuff like that. You know, yeah, I, SGA makes a lot of money next year, I guess. It's just I don't even know what they're going to spend all that money on. You know, it's <laughs> so, yeah, they're they're going to have all this cap space. They're going to have, you know, all of this. All these draft picks, it's almost like they're just going to re, they're rebooting their franchise. Like they're legit doing the, uh, for the people that are old enough to remember like Nintendo and, and stuff like that, like you have to blow on the cartridge and put it back in there. That's almost, that's almost what they're doing with their franchise. I love it, Neil. You're bringing back so many references. Like you, I don't have very many guests on that, that bring, you know, Tupac and then that one right there with the gaming system. Yeah, we used to always have to do that. You had to blow on it and hope it worked that time. Never never made sense. I didn't understand how it worked, but um, every once in a while yeah. you get lucky. Someone explain the science. Explain the yeah. science to me. Like what changed? <laughs> exactly. All right. One more team and then I'll let you get out of here, Neil, if that's okay. And that's the Milwaukee Bucks. And, and again, we talked earlier about I probably didn't talk enough about Jeremy Grant this offseason. I probably haven't talked about the Milwaukee Bucks one time. We've talked about the Lakers and Ben Simmons and the Bulls and the Heat and the Wizards and all these teams, and I never once talked about the defending champs. So the Milwaukee Bucks, what are your thoughts on them coming into this, you know, defending their title season? Do you think they have a chance to repeat? And what are we going to see? I saw someone from uh, tweet about this the other day. What is uh, NBA champion, NBA finals MVP confident Giannis going to look like coming off that championship? 
Yeah, I mean, but we still have to go back to the to the point where if Durant's toe's not on the line, they're out. <laughs> you know, like that did happen. And in yep. credit to the Bucks, you know, they uh you know, they they did the job. They they survived in advance, man, and they 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 went into the finals and then they won. And there was some adversity that they faced in the finals too. But you know what? They stepped up and they and you can never take that championship away from them. And Giannis is Giannis is incredible. We we all know that. Uh, Chris Middleton, uh, the former Piston, I, w- I was happy for him. I've got got some friends in the Bucks organization too. You know, Ryan Hoover played basketball at Oakland. He's in, he's uh, uh, vice president of global scouting for them. I mean, you know, th- there were a lot of people that it made me happy to see them get that NBA championship. But at the same time, I mean, it's it's such a big ask, you know, just just to go back and to do it again. And but why not the Bucks though too? At the same time, I mean, Brooklyn that's always going to be a circus, right? That's just the nature nature of some of the people that are on that team. And it's always going to be a media circus and you never know what's going to happen if they're another year older now and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, with all that being said, maybe I'm shortchanging them a little bit when I bring up the fact that Durant's toe was on the line. Uh, but at the same time, I, I think we can agree, depending on what happens with Ben Simmons, uh, the 76ers, don't look. You can't convince me if you take Ben Simmons off that roster, they're better. And you can say what you want about Ben Simmons, and people have, and people will. But the bottom line is, as a number one overall draft pick, the bottom line is that guy can play. And you know, in a, depending on the scheme or whatever, and I know he had some some struggles and things like that. But you just can't convince me that taking him off that roster improves the 76ers as we sit right now doing this podcast together, Bryce. Now. Data changes, uh, as we, as we've talked about. That's the that's the theme of this uh, podcast, I guess you would say. Circumstances change, and if they're able to move him, and you'll get something of substance back, I reserve the right to change my opinion on that. But if you take him off that team, I don't see how they're better right now today. I agree. That's what that that whole storyline there is going to be one. Obviously, everybody's following and can really change the landscape of the East a little bit. Or, I mean, it doesn't sound like he's ever going to play for Philly, and so. You know, you talked about it earlier, the supply and demand, like even though he's as good a player, and I, I value him much higher than a lot of people do, but it doesn't, it seems like they're not going to get the haul in return that you would want to make that team better. And I'm not huge, uh, real quick from you, I'm not huge on what the Bulls did, like that catapulting them into a championship contender. And I'm also not that high on what the Miami Heat did. And so if you're not high on those guys, unless you think the Hawks are really going to take another step or maybe the Knicks, like it really comes down to the Nets and the Bucks still. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't see any challenges to to those two. I mean, I, I just don't. And I'm with you. I, and look, I know... I, I like DeMar DeRozan as much as the next guy, man, but $82 million for three years, and that's that's a that's a big chunk of money, man. And I, I don't know that he's he's going to come in and transcend a, a franchise. And, you know, that, that was their big addition. And, and, yeah, as you talked about, too, with Miami, you know, I like Jimmy Butler a lot. Uh, everybody likes Bam. Kyle Lowry, you know, certainly – I'm a fan of Kyle Lowry too. I just don't see when when I go through those names, I don't see Giannis and Middleton and Drew Holiday, and I certainly don't see KD, Harden, hard stop. Like I just that one of these things is not like the other. If we go back to the old Sesame Street days, you know those names I read off, uh, those are different than the other two teams that we were talking about in Miami and Brooklyn. I just don't see I just don't see where people are going to make up the ground on them. I agree uh, 100%. So, all right, that, that'll do it for this episode. Neil, thank you so much. I had a blast. This was a lot of fun. Like I say just talking Pistons, talking NBA, and, and even those old school references you brought up, that, that, that made me smile. I enjoyed that. So uh, hopefully I can have you back at some point during the season. We can talk about how the, the season is going for the Pistons and, and recap what's been going on. Um, but before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to just plug everything you're doing. I know you're a busy man putting out all sorts of content at Woodward and everywhere else. So let the listeners know. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, as always, um, I'm play-by-play guy for the Oakland Golden Grizzlies, uh, you know, Division One team here in Michigan in the Horizon League. So I do the television locally in Detroit on TV20 for them, the radio, uh, as well on, on 1270 AM, the bet, 97.1 HD3. The Oakland games are on there. Uh, the backup, 
you know, play-by-play guy for the Detroit Pistons on the radio side. Usually I find my way into doing a couple of Pistons games a year. Uh, also, midday uh, talk show host, a uh, show's called Big D Energy on Woodward Sports Network. It's myself and Darren McCarty, uh, Stanley Cup champion with the Red Wings, Joyke Bell, a former running back for the Detroit Lions. We do that every day, Monday through Friday, on Woodward Sports. Uh, yeah, soccer on television as well, TV20 in Detroit, Detroit City, uh, FC, uh, do the play-by-play for their matches as well. So yeah, as you said, a, a lot going on. Certainly if I get that call from the Pistons, I, I'm I'm thinking I will be doing a couple games, I think, for the Motor City Crews, uh, for the G League this year as well, um, in addition to hopefully some Pistons games as the schedule shakes out. So yeah, man, as, as that stuff goes on, I'm, I'll certainly be happy to come back with you, Bryce, and sit down and wrap with you and, and break some things down. You do a great job. I'm a big fan of the Motor City Hoops podcast. And uh, just, just keep it keep it rolling, man. You're on your way. I appreciate it very much. Make sure you check out everything that Neil is doing. He does great stuff. The Woodward Sports Network and doing all the play-by-play that he's doing for all the different teams. And as always, I want to thank all of you for continuing to tune in to the Motor City Hoops podcast each week. I cannot tell you how excited I am for the start of the season, even the preseason games. So we'll have some games to talk about. I know it's been a lot of the same conversations over the offseason, but I've been trying to keep it interesting with a variety of guests and taking different angles with the discussion. The lineup of guests continues to be incredible as I'll be have at Pistons Thoughts on for next week's episode and then I'll again be joined by James Edwards III from The Athletic for the final episode before the regular season in a couple weeks. Thank you to everyone for your support and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.